you, ladies. That's a blessing. Amen. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24. Thank the Lord for our teenagers. God is doing such a wonderful work in their hearts. You pray for our, our student ministries. We're praying for God to help them do a great work for him in, in the public school system. Joshua 24. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please be kind enough to share your Bible with them and help them find their place. Look at verse 11 with me. I know Brother Pearson was here a few weeks ago when I was out, and he actually preached from this passage, but I think we just need to hear from it again because I am kind of just need to finish up Joshua 24. Now, let me encourage you. We're finishing up Joshua as far as a preaching series. We've been on it for several months. Uh, when, we get, when we get past our revival meetings and Friend Day next week, the first Sunday in November, starting a short mini-series, I think be very encouraging. And I want you to use it to bring people to church. It's entitled Nothing But the Truth. And I want to talk to you and preach you for the next several weeks about the truth about Jesus Christ. Amen? And there's a lot of things people think about Jesus or they've heard about Jesus, but I want you to hear the truth about Jesus. Amen? So you, you come for that and help support that. It'll be a blessing. And then you help support our friend day. Now, we're going to have, we're going to have services in English. And we're blessed next week. We're going to have, I told our Spanish department, we're going to have, they're going to have Spanish preaching all day. Amen. And uh, Sunday school, they'll have Sunday school hour, their adult, their adult growth group. Brother Ed Bordell, our missionary to Costa Rica, is in town. I asked Brother Bordell if he'll preach the uh, Friend Day service for our Spanish department. And then to kick off our revival services next Sunday night, uh, they, they will have Brother Bordell preach in Spanish to them for that so that we can encourage our folks to be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then we'll have services also in the, in the Chinese language, both the first and second hour. Lots of things. There'll be lunch right after church, penny zoo for the kids, number of activities for the kids. It'll be a wonderful day day. Amen. And by the way, every day, every Sunday church is a wonderful day. Amen. Say amen. Come on. on, Be excited. I don't know it's morning. I know probably you didn't have enough caffeine, but it's still church. Amen. And we're going to have a great day today. Joshua 24 verse 11. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy bow. And I've given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not. And ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted, not do you eat. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And to seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you'll serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. I want you to notice this morning, verse 15. Joshua's 110 years of age. He's feeling like, man, I don't have a lot of time left, and he didn't. In fact, in chapter 23, he told them, I'm going to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. And he's concerned about the people he loved. He spent probably the last, how many years? He, at starting age 40, he spent all his lifetime with these people. And now he's at this place and he says, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. And I want to preach you this morning a message entitled, The Winner's Choice. Because all through Josh, from chapter 1 to the end, where we're at right now, it's about the victorious Christian life. We are on the winning side. 
God wants us to know that you're not a loser. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a victor. You are a winner. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even your faith. And I realize with the large number of people here this morning, there are some who come today with hearts heavy, who are burdened. Your shoulders feel like you're carrying a load that's bigger than you can carry. You're not sure how to face tomorrow. But I want to encourage you this morning, the Lord is with you. And God is there to carry that load. And God wants to strengthen your faith today. Let's see this morning this matter concerning the winner's choice. Father, today, thank you for the beautiful music we've heard, the practices and rehearsals that went into them. And uh, we're excited this morning that all of those songs point to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, songs like, It is well with my soul, and peace like a river floods my soul. And thank you this morning, the Bible tells us that thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And thank you this morning, as our uh, young lady sang about Calvary covering it all, thank you that the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. Lord, these are timeless doctrines, and doctrines that we hold hold dear to our faith and our hearts and we're thankful today to sing a julie follow the lord rachel follow the lord in scriptural baptism today we're so excited about her faith and what you're doing and and lord as all of our brothers and sisters in christ and friends have assembled here today we come here today to be encouraged to be strengthened to be challenged to be stretched uh, lord even as the bible says maybe to even be reproved today about maybe a, a, a shortfall in our life that we need to step up in and as we look at these final words from joshua we ask this morning do something great in our heart take away the scales from our eyes help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law may the holy spirit speak to us tenderly and come alongside of us as the teacher of your word as a comforter who comes along our side we pray this morning that that you sanctify your people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And today we pray for those without Christ as Savior, that before the service is over today, that they would gently hear the voice of God nudging at them and tugging at their hearts to call upon Christ to save them. Help us, Lord, if we've had struggles through the week and putting our faith and trust in you, that we realize the key to success is trusting in God. Help us as these Israelites were challenged by Joshua to make the winner's choice. We're at the crossroads. Some of us need to get off the fence. Some of us need to realize today it's time to make that winner's choice would you help us with that today would you give us boldness in christ today and we'll thank you for what you'll do in us in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated brother aaron lee is our one of my co-teachers for our heirs together adult growth group the heirs together class is pretty a class is pretty much for a lot of our younger marrieds that are there a very exciting class and we're excited about everyone that's in there and they were sharing testimonies about two or three weeks ago and brother Aaron was sharing with the class how he enjoyed doing rock climbing and mountain climbing for endurance purposes and challenges and and I kind of appreciate that very very much and any of you who are involved with mountain climbing realize that that is a very uh, that is a very challenging sport and it's a very dangerous sport it's one that you don't take lightly it's one that you've got to think through what you're going to do you've got to make sure equipment's rightly in place and things of that nature. And uh, probably when we think about that, those who are involved with that realize that their greatest goal is to is to climb a new peak. They want to hit, hit a new mountain. And uh, mountain climbers have something very unique in common. They like to talk about the peaks they've climbed and uh, how they got there and how they dealt with the, 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 the thinning of the air and the oxygen capacity, things like that. 
In Europe, several climbers, sometimes they, as they go up there, they, they look at paths where they may go from just uh, from ground that is, that is just, you know, like what we see right now to where as they ascend the heights, they get into an altitude that's a little bit higher and there's snow and the, and, the, and, and the temperature drops dramatically and how prepared they are. And some European climbers, sometimes as they get up, they swap stories talking about uh, some things that they find in markers along the way. And one, there's one particular area where European climbers would go up and uh, they would see this marker there. And the marker had this inscription about a, a climber that went there but never made it to the peak. But yet, in spite of the fact, because of his endurance and his courage to go there, they inscribed this marker that said the following, He died while climbing. And I thought about that as I read the story there, that, that what a really remarkable thing, even though he didn't make it to the peak, his goal was to get there. And several of those climbers who identified with the rigor and the struggles and the difficulties and the hardships and sometimes the setbacks and the change in weather and all those things that go with that and perhaps the stories that they've known of others who never made it. Like, for instance, if you go up to, if you ever want to climb Mount Everest, uh, along the way, you'll find the bodies of people who didn't make it because no one brought their bodies back. They're frozen in the snow. But what a marker to have someone put a sign there, a marker to commemorate a man who died while climbing. As we look at this man by the name of Joshua, Joshua was a spiritual mountain climber. He was one that ascended the heights. He encourages me, he encourages you, he inspires us to climb the heights. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, the songwriter said. We need to press towards higher ground. The Christian life is not one where we put it on descent. Praise the Lord. The Christian life is one where we're going on an ascent. Amen. We're going upwards. I'm climbing higher. I'm going higher. Yes, higher one day. We're going higher because that is what the essence of the Christian life is like. The higher up we go, the more the difficulties, the more the challenges. The more we realize that we want to attain that place where we reach the peak. And this morning as we look at Joshua 24, we're at the mountain peak where Joshua's out. We're at the mountain peak where everything you could think could be accomplished was accomplished. Joshua is a victorious Christian. Joshua pictures to you and I the successful Christian life. We see a man who followed God. We see a man who had a great faith. We have a man who's recorded the scriptures, not just here throughout the whole book that's named after him, but even mentioned there in the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 as a great hero of faith. Every now and then when we need to be inspired to climb another mountain, to go up another peak, we must read about the life of Joshua and realize that he put on his spiritual shoes one, one, one shoe at a time. He took one step at a time like you and I. And if God could bless the faith of a Joshua and God can encourage a man like Joshua, God can encourage you and me. And this morning we're looking at these final words, the final challenge of this man Joshua as a mountain climber to the children of Israel, a people that he grew with, a people that he loved. You might say it was a leader's heart to his followers. You might say it's a pastor's heart to his congregation. You might say it's the Lord's heart to people who need to go the next mile. Now, I don't know where you're at in your Christian life, but I know one thing about every Christian. We need to go higher. We need to climb a little bit higher. We need to take some higher steps. We need to climb another floor. I some, every now and then when I make a hospital visit, and my wife is not with me. I like to just kind of go the stairs. And if it's six floors or seven floors or less, and if I'm not in a hurry, I try to just, I just take the stairs up. I just want to get that extra, uh, that extra bit of exercise in. And sometimes I'll park far, far away in the parking lot and walk almost a quarter mile in just to get in, just to get there. And I love to go up those stairs and get to the top. But you know how it is. By about, the, about that fourth floor, you're feeling a little bit winded there and you're trying to push yourself. And it's more than four floors. By the time you get that fifth one, you're just glad that you're, 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 you stop climbing. And I think we feel that way. Sometimes 
experience, we get a little satisfied as we're going higher. We're just kind of satisfied with that peak. But the Lord wants you and I to keep climbing those peaks until he says we're finished climbing. And God was finished with Joshua there. But Joshua would climb many peaks. And we're going to go back in time for a few minutes this morning to look at some of those peaks that, that Joshua climbed. And I want to inspire you this morning. I want to inspire you today to climb some mountains for God. I want to inspire you to have a spirit like a Caleb. I want that mountain. I want to inspire you this morning to do more for Jesus Christ. I want to inspire you to do everything you can over the next six days to invite people to Heritage Baptist Church for our great friend day and to hear our good friend Dr. Tom Farrell bring the gospel message. And we're praying that many will be saved next Sunday morning. We're praying that our church will attain a new level, a new height, spiritually speaking, that you'd realize this morning that God doesn't want you to stagnate. God doesn't want you to stay on the third floor, the fourth floor, that there's more floors to climb. There's more peaks to climb. There's more to attain for Jesus Christ today. And say like the Apostle Paul, when you get to the end of your race, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the course. I want us to say this morning that we've done everything we could in our power to live for Jesus Christ here. Joshua finished well. Joshua finished strong. And God's desire as he's speaking through Joshua is that Israel would finish strong as well. Notice several things about our passage this morning. First of all, what you notice as we look at chapter 23 and 24, which we have to take together. And actually, I'm going to take you back to chapter 23. Notice Joshua begins by speaking about the illustrious past of Israel. The illustrious past of Israel. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass... Chapter 23, it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. Notice in verse 2, he calls his peers together. The Bible says Joshua called for all of Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And he said to them, I am old and stricken in age. And notice verse 3, and he says to them, and ye have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he that has fought for you. Joshua goes back in time and he reminds them about their illustrious past. And then in chapter 24, he pulls all the congregation of Israel together. And again, he repeats himself. He reminds them of their illustrious past. Brother and sister in Christ, may I remind you this morning, we must never forget what God has saved us from. We must never forget the victories of the past. We must never forget the things which God has done. We must always remember, if it's not for the Lord's mercies, we'd be consume. Notice in this remembrance of the past, the first thing he said is, remember your fathers. Notice verse 2 and 3. He says, and you have seen all that the Lord has done. He speaks to them about that. He said, remember all that the Lord has done. Look at chapter 24, verse 2. He says, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of your Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed, and gave, 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 him, and gave him Isaac. He reminded them about their spiritual forefathers. He reminded them about the ancestors of the faith. We live in a day and time where the young men of our day, who've been saved for any length of time, they've lost their connection with the past. They have forgotten the heroes of the faith. Great men of the faith who served the Lord were raised up as great heroes. I'm thankful for many great heroes we've had militarily. I'm thankful for many great heroes in days gone by that we've had in our past. The George Washingtons and the Douglas MacArthur's and people like that. But remind you as born again saved people, let us not forget the heroes of the faith. Let us not forget those that are recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. The Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jacobs and the Moses and the Joshuas and the Davids and the Solomons. Let 
let us not forget those forefathers of faith. When I got saved, one of the first things that happened to me the first two years after I got saved, someone gave me a subscription to a periodical known as the Sword of the Lord. At that time, Dr. John R. Rice was the author of that newspaper. And I got enthralled with that newspaper as I read sermons that fired my soul. And I read of the things that were going on in the Baptist and the Baptist movement there, the independent Baptist movement of men that were building great churches for God. I remember back in the 70s and 80s that of the hundred fastest growing churches that were in the United States of America, North America for that, that 90% of them were independent Baptist churches like a Heritage Baptist church. Men that stepped out by faith. Men that were winning people to Christ. Men that stayed strong in the Pope and continued preaching the Word of God. I think of a great patriarch of the faith, a man by the name of Dr. Ed Nelson. Years ago, Dr. Nelson came to the church I got saved in. And my wife and I were privileged. We were just young newlyweds back at that time to take Dr. Nelson out and for a meal there for several nights in a row. And the pastor said, uh, Brother Fong, he says, I want, want you to learn how to, I want you to learn leadership. He said, I want you to learn how to grow in the Lord. I want you to take Dr. Nelson out. Now I knew just a little bit about Dr. Nelson. Ed Nelson was the pastor of a church in Denver, Colorado. I'd looked him up and read a little bit about him. I knew a little bit about his background. I knew that he was a fiery Bible preacher. I also knew that he'd been a pastor for many years. And one of the things I learned about is how this man took his church and they attained new heights. They were in the Rocky Mountains. And you know, in Rocky Mountains, you're about a mile up then as far as altitude, but he was leading his church higher than that. He was leading his church to win souls and bringing them in. And I remember as we went out for meals with him, Brother Nelson, Dr. Nelson was one who inspired me about having the right idea and the right philosophy about, about the music in the church. You see, if you don't have the right music in the church, the first thing that moves is always the music. And when the music changes, you've got to be careful. Your philosophy changes. And if your philosophy changes, your doctrine changes because it happens all the time and that's what's going on there. And Dr. Nelson, as we sat at a meal over in San Francisco there, somewhere there in that Ghirardelli Square area, somewhere there by Fish and Moore. He looked at me and looked at my wife. He said, Brother Mrs. Fong, I want to tell you one thing. He said, make sure as you go on in life. He had no idea what he was doing for a young man at that time, about 27 years of age. He said, I want to tell you, Brother Fong, never forget this. Let your theology dictate your music. Don't let your music dictate your theology. Amen? Let your theology dictate your music. Don't let your music dictate your theology. Now, I'm thankful Dr. Nelson went on. He retired after that. But Dr. Nelson was one of those men, you couldn't keep him down. And at age 75, he went to down the Phoenix, Arizona area, and he started a new church from scratch. Can you imagine that? 75 years of age, Brother Erwin. He started a church from scratch. I happened to find out where he was at. I was about in my mid, mid to late 30s at the time. I called Dr. Nelson up. I said, Dr. Nelson, what are you doing? He said, I started a new church. I said, how are you doing? He said, well, we're two years old and already running 200. Can you imagine that? Two years old at age, he's 77, and he's running a church that's running 200. Just read. Recently, Brother Van Gelderen, who was with us in the spring, Dr. Wayne Van Gelderen Sr. was good friends. Uh, the, the one that preached for us, his father, was good friends with Dr. Nelson. They had a, a great banquet for Dr. Nelson, who's like 95 years of age. And by the way, 95, still preaching, Amen. still winning souls, Amen. still going on the mission field. Dr. Nelson, a little bit more frail. And he got up as they introduced him. And he got to the Pope, a very frail, weakened voice. And he said, Brother and Sister Christ, Pray for me that I finish strong. Can you imagine that at 95 years of age? And I'm saying this morning, don't lose the connection to the past of great men of God who preached the sermons and great men of God who paved the way and missionaries have paved the way and men of God doing a great work for God. And here we find Joshua reminding about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
Jacob. Notice in verse 5, he reminded them about the prophet Moses. He reminded them about the high priest Aaron in verse 5. In Abraham, we see the father of the Hebrew race. In Aaron, we see the lineage of the priesthood. In Moses, we see the prophet of God mentioned there. And I remind you today, especially for all of our young people today, never lose your connection to the fathers of the faith. Always remind yourself, thank God for those who paid the price. Thank God for those who filled the pulpit and preached the word of God. Thank God for those who exercised some faith and led us to do great things for God. Never forget those forefathers. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. May I remind you today? As a father, I want my children to catch my heart. They don't all the time, but I'm thankful when they do catch my heart. And they catch my heart in the key matters of life. And just like you, you want your children to catch your heart for their life. You've been down the road a little bit. You've made a few mistakes along the way. You've acquired some wisdom along the way. And you want your children to do the same thing. May I say to you this morning, as the pastor of the Heritage Baptist Church, I want you as a congregation to follow the faith of your pastor. And I want you this morning to realize today that we need to remind ourselves that this is the path we must take. And this is the way we should go. The Bible says, stand ye in the old paths. Remove not the ancient landmark. And he was saying to them today, remember your fathers. Secondly, he said, remember your footsteps. Notice some things he said here in this 24th chapter there. Would you notice this? In verse 3, God says this. Would you notice all the things God referenced to what he did in their lives? In verse 3, he said, I took. In verse 3, he said, I led. In verses 3 and 4, he said, I gave. In verse 5, he said, I sent. In verse 5, he said, I plagued. In verse 6, he said, I brought. In verse 11, he said, I delivered. In verse 13, he said, I've given. In summary, would you notice in all those phrases, God was telling them, you couldn't do it without me. By the way, we can't do it without him either. He said, you can't do it without me. You didn't get there on your own. You didn't have the military might. You didn't have the wisdom. You didn't have the ingenuity. You didn't have the finances. You didn't have the ability. He says, I was the one that helped you. I was the one that took you. I was the one that led you. I was the one that brought you. I was the one that planted you here. I'm the reason why you're here. All the rest you have, you got it from me. I put you here because it was in my grand scheme, in my grand plan that I wanted to put you there. Listen, sometimes we like to think we are self-made men and self-made women and we like to think because we made a little bit of money and we've got a little bit of degrees and we have somebody's applause there that we think we got ourselves there but i remind you today without him you and i can do nothing we need the lord to guide us along the way he says remember your footsteps the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord and he delighted in his way a man's heart devises his way but the lord is the one who directs his steps oh brother and sister in christ remember those footsteps remember how god has led you along the way remember how someone came to you and brought you the gospel message and remember how someone led you to the church and you got under the word of God and remember those days when you started making those baby decisions of faith remember that pastor or that soul winner who loved you and helped get you to church and showed you the way remember those days when someone would patiently answer your question and encourage you to take that step of faith may I encourage you this morning as he encouraged them remember your fathers remember your footsteps but notice verses 11 to 13 he said remember God's faithfulness Verse 11, he said this, And ye went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites. And Jer- Why did he remind them of all those names? Because those were very fearful and fearsome nations. They were Amorites. They were giants. For many years they conquered that land. 
They were pagan idolaters. They burned their babies in the fire. They did horrendous things. They went away from God. And they had this wonderful testimony of what God was doing in Israel. But these nations refused to repent and turn to God. And God reminded them how one by one, systematically, God in His power and God in His love enabled them to overcome these these nations which were against them. He said, remember in verse 11, I delivered them into your hand. And verse 12, He talked about the army of God. He talked about the invisible working of God like a, like a large uh, bunch of wasps and hornets. He says, and I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I think it's important that we underline there what God said there. You didn't defeat them with your sword, and you didn't defeat them with your bow. You did it because I helped you. Oh, brother and sister in Christ, may it not be just only Thanksgiving time we thank the Lord for His goodness. May every single day we start today and thank God for His goodness. May we thank Him for His strength. May we thank Him for His faithfulness. May we thank Him for His forgiveness. May we thank Him for our friends. May we thank Him for our church. May we thank Him for our salvation. May we thank Him for just being so good to us. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. There was His faithfulness there. And then He said in verse 13, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted, and you did not, you did not eat. Oh, God was telling them backwards. He reminded them about the lustrous past. He said, Don't forget all the things I did for you. Don't forget the opening of the Red Sea. Don't forget I sustained you through the wilderness. You, your shoes did not wear out and your clothing did not wear out and you had food to take care of you every day. He says, don't forget that I was the one that got you here on this other side of Jordan. Don't forget that I was the one that opened up the Jordan River for you. Don't forget I was the one that gave you the victories. Don't forget that I was the one to get you there. Oh, may I say this morning, just in passing, brother and sister in Christ, let us not forget our illustrious past. Let us not forget the day Jesus saved us. Amen. Let us not forget the day when God wrote our name in His book of life. May we not forget the day that our sins were forgiven. We became sons of God. May we not forget the day like Rachel this morning who followed the Lord in scriptural baptism. May we not forget those those monumental days, those important days perhaps at a youth camp or a family camp where the Lord used to preach or to speak to heart and we made a decision to help us to live for the Lord. May we not forget the day you dedicated your life to the Lord Jesus Christ according to Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. May we not forget the day that we got victory in our life and learn how to pray more than five minutes a day. And we give ourselves to 30 minutes a day and 60 minutes a day to prayer. May we not forget the day we learned how to have a daily devotion time with God and to read the Bible and spend time with the Lord. May we not forget those days we got victory perhaps of a besetting sin or weight that held us down. Let us not take for granted what God's done. Let us not take for granted what God has done in Heritage Baptist Church in January this coming year. We're going to be celebrating 20 years as a church. And it's hard for me to imagine the church will be 20 years old. But I'll tell you this for one, I don't want to forget what God has done. I don't forget how God started that church. I don't want to forget that original location. I don't want to forget the first souls that were saved and those who came to know Christ as Savior. I don't want to forget as I look around the room from all around this room for those of you who trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and got saved perhaps out of false religion and got saved out of something that could have taken you to hell that God saved you, put you in this church. I don't want to forget how God gave us these buildings. I don't want to forget how God has sustained us. I don't want to forget the fact that God has enabled this church to go beyond its means and 130 mysteries are being supported around the world. I don't want to forget that as we enter the 20th year, we're not to coast, to sit back, and let somebody else do the work. We're to step up for Jesus Christ and do something great for Him today. I'm just saying today, don't forget, you're at where you are because of God. You're not here because of yourself. And you did not build the church. He builds the church. And you're not the one who made the church great. He's the one that makes the church great. May I say this morning, the church is not about your little fellowship. The church is not about your little refreshment. And the church is not about what you want to do. The church is about Jesus Christ. Because the higher we live, 
lift up Jesus Christ, the more he's glorified this morning. May I remind you today, as we embark on 20 years as a church, the church is not going to get quieter and the church is not going to get softer and it's not going to get get to the place. We're just going to coast along. Hey, we, we got some great things we want to do. There's more churches to start. There's more things to be done. There's more people that need to get saved. There are more, there are more preachers that need to be raised up. There's more lives that need to be built. I'm saying this morning, don't get content. If you came out of a dead church situation, realize you're in a living church this morning that God is using today. I'm saying this morning, we have this illustrious past. May I say to you, especially if you're a founding member, faithful member of the church, don't forget the past that God has given this church here. Number two. Now I want you to catch, that's how Joshua felt at 110 years of age. I'm not sure if I lived 110, I'll feel that way, but he did, amen? The illustrious past. But notice he had an inconclusive perspective. Perspective is how you see things from your eye lens. Now you look at my son Justin, and I'll say, there's my son. You might look and say, he's weird, amen? That might be your perspective, okay? You might look at this pumpkin and say, it's a pumpkin, and I'm going to look and say, maybe it's an obstruction. It's not. You might look at the piano and say, it's just a piano, but to a pianist, it's, a, it's an instrument that can be used for the glory of God. You look at these teenage girls and saying, so beautifully, Calvary covers it all. You just said the little girls. I see lives that God can use. And Joshua is now, as he stands up, looking at this congregation of three million people. The only one of his peers that was still alive was Caleb. He felt a little lonely. He had friends that died in the wilderness. He saw his children grow up. They were adults. He saw his grandchildren, perhaps even great-grandchildren. As they looked at that feeble, older patriarch of the faith, you could hear a pin drop where there were three million people. Nobody was fooling with their cell phones. Nobody was distracted with something else. They had their ears, their eyes, their minds, and their hearts focused on what this patriarch of the faith had to say. He spent his first 40 years as a slave in Egypt. The next 40 years he spent as a servant, a soldier under Moses in the wilderness. The last 30 years leading up to this moment where he preaches his final sermon were spent getting the people across the Jordan River and acquiring the land of the cities of Canaan that God had promised them. Along the way, you can say that perhaps nobody knew the Israelites better than Joshua did. There may have been a few that thought they knew what was going on, but nobody knew them better. He knew what kind of faith they had. He knew what their fears were. He knew what their proclivities were. He knew what their insecurities were. He knew what inactivity and the increase of goods would do to them. He knew, as he talked to them, that there were some challenges that faced him. There were some big challenges he talked about there. And he's concerned as he talked to them. Notice verse 14. He tells them all 
all these things. He talked to them about the past and how God blessed them in the past and how God was working in their lives. And now he gets to verses 14 and 15 and we see his perspective because from his eyelands and from his heart, as someone who knew these people, he was concerned that when he passed the scene, what will these people do? What will they decide? You know, you've heard the old cliche, when the cat's away, the mouse will play. And he was thinking, when the mouse is, when the cat's dead, the mouse are going to be more than just playing there. And he thought, when I'm gone, what's going to happen to them? How many generations will it be before they pass on? And he's concerned about them. Because notice he says, now therefore fear the Lord. Now I find that amusing here because you would think after all the victories they had, they feared the Lord. Right? I mean, you think about their glorious past. You would think after everything he said, they feared the Lord. That should be a given. But he's talking to them. And he's not, he's not talking soft tone. He's speaking to three million people without a PA system, without a megaphone. And he's just kind of cupped his hands around his voice, around his mouth, so they could hear him vocalize very clearly without any tremors in his lips. They hear him vocalize. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Now, I believe he was under the power of the Holy Spirit. Those words that he spoke were very very carefully chosen. They were words that were needed. They were crafted words. They were custom fit words that they needed. He said, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. Now, when we read verse 14, which I've read many times, I had to put this in perspective where Joshua's at. His perspective was he's concerned. His perspective was he's worried. His perspective was, are they going to make it? His perspective was, have they lost their fire? He was concerned because he saw diminishing of the flames. He saw diminishing of the fire. He's concerned that the vigilance is fading, that they were not being as vigilant. And you can get that by reading Judges chapter 1. As you read Judges 1 and 2, you find that the vigilance was waning. They were not as careful as they were before. He's concerned that there were no more battles to fight. He's concerned that indifference and complacency is sitting in. He's concerned that they're rich and increased with goods and they don't feel like they need anybody or anything. He's concerned that the worship and service of God lost its intensity. He felt like they were just doing out of formality and not out of the fact they wanted to be more like the Lord. He was concerned that the worship lost its essence. He was concerned that they got on a schedule. You see, back in those days, when you worship God, you didn't follow a schedule. Back in those days, when you worship God, you just worship God uninhibited. You didn't worry about the next meal. You didn't worry about the next appointment. In fact, back in those days, nobody set appointments because the number one thing in that day was to worship God. Amen. They put God at the focus and forefront of everything. And so they were they were in a kind of a different society than what we're in today. He was concerned that what they would get used to seeing idolatry, because some of those tribes, as we read Judges chapter one, some of those tribes do not completely boot out the Canaanites out of there. And they let the Canaanites settle with them. And the Bible says they brought some of the Canaanites under tribute. And they thought, well, we'll bring them under tribute. They'll be fine. What they didn't realize, bringing them under tribute didn't necessarily mean that they, they, that they would not affect them. And so the Canaanites continued to have their idolatrous worship and idolatrous practice. And sometimes, in trying to be good friends with them, they would look over their, their, all over their shoulders and say, well, what are you doing there? And they, would, they were afraid of being offensive. So they didn't want to say anything offensive to the Canaanites. And they allowed them to continue the idolatrous worship there. And it went on like that. And so he's concerned. He's watching these tendencies. As a, as, as a prophet of God, he's watching around there. And he sees tendencies that are making him concerned. He's seeing they're being, they're used to idolatry. And he's seeing here, on the other hand, that they don't have the fire that they used to have. And he's seeing, on the other hand, the worship of God 
was becoming formalistic and there was no heart in it. He's watching these things and he was concerned. He was concerned about this. And he goes on by telling them, you need to serve the Lord and you need to fear God and you need to choose this day. And he says, if it's evil to you, you need to serve God. And then later on, notice he says to them, you cannot serve the Lord. He's concerned. He's concerned where they're at. Can I say something this morning as a pastor of the church? I'm concerned where our people at. I get on my knees day after day and week after week and night after night and I'm praying for our church. I'm concerned where we're at as our, in a Christian life. I'm concerned where we're at in our Bible reading. I'm concerned where we're at in terms of the exercise of faith. I'm concerned about your fire. I remember the day maybe when you had a fire, but that fire is diminished. I remember the day that you loved Jesus and you sang with all your heart and tears coming down your eyes. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. But now it's like, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Hurry up, pastor, get the song over. Oh, how I love Jesus, because the Bible tells me so. And we just don't have that fire and that enthusiasm. And he was concerned. He was concerned the younger generation was not jumping in and taking responsibilities. He was concerned that the older generation, which represent experience and hopefully maturity, they were not taking more initiative and setting the way. He was concerned about those things. He was concerned that men were putting down their swords instead of realizing they needed to be vigilant all the time. He was concerned that they were not building the walls that they needed to to keep the enemy out. He was concerned that Satan was working his way in their hearts and leading them to temptation. He was concerned that men were getting loose with their marriages and women were getting loose with their marriages. He was concerned that materialism was setting in. He was concerned that holiness didn't grip them as it did on the day that Moses talked about holiness from the book of Leviticus. He was concerned about all those things. May I say to you this morning, this man had an inconclusive perspective. He came to the conclusion that are the people really where they're at? May I say this morning, not being in an accusing way, I'm concerned. I'm just saying this morning, I'm concerned we don't lose our fire. I'm concerned we don't leave our place of prayer. I'm concerned that we don't stop giving. I'm concerned that we don't stop exercising faith. I'm concerned we not get used to not seeing people saved. I'm concerned if men are not getting called to the ministry. I'm concerned if churches are not being started. I'm concerned if we're not doing great things for God. I'm concerned a friend day, if we just approach friend day next Sunday, and we just have a nonchalant attitude about people coming to Christ, and we just say, well, just let somebody else do it. There's something wrong with that kind of mentality. And so he expresses to him his concern. He says, fear the Lord. And notice he says in sincerity, in truth, don't serve God to impress somebody else. Don't serve God with the idea that you want to look good. We're to serve God from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart, Ephesians 6 says. So Joshua speaks to him, remember your past. Joshua speaks to them. I'm, I have my perspective about where you're at. And so notice verses 14 to 15. Now Joshua shares his heart. And Joshua gives them an inspired passion. That therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? What was supposed to be a monotheistic culture of people, a saved people, he was concerned that some of them went back and worshiping their old gods. They're worshiping their old idols. He says, put away the gods that your fathers serve. They, they were traditionalists, like many cultures are today. They were traditionalists, following their ways. And he says, but you're saved. 
Don't follow that. We need to follow the Lord. And notice what he says in verse 15. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, I think he had an inkling that some of them were grumbling and some of them were complaining and some of them were just getting tired of serving God and they were tired of doing the worship of God and they were tired of lighting the fires and even the priests and the Levites were getting tired of doing what they were doing. And he says, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, he says, choose you this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Now he sets before them something. He's got to make a choice But he said, and beyond all that, we see now in the next phrase, notice the heart of this man by the name of Joshua. Notice his heart. Notice how he pours out his heart. Maybe with remaining energy he had at the 110 years of age, they would catch his heart, the inspired passions. Man, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's burning with his passion for God. His passion from the day he's introduced to us in Exodus chapter 17, when Amalek came from behind and attacked Israel out in the wilderness. He said, the passion that we see in Joshua, following the orders of Moses. He's a 40-year-old man. He's following that instruction and he goes out and fights and he wins the battle. That passion that he had there, the same passion that he had later on when, when he's up on the mountaintop with Moses. Moses out on Mount Sinai getting the presence of God and the principles of God and the pre- precepts of God and in privacy with God. And, and Joshua just at the foothill there waiting on the mass, waiting on his, waiting on the prophet of God. He's waiting there and serving God and keeping himself occupied. As they're making their descent down, they hear this commotion down in the camp and uh, joshua is being a soldier he says moses he says it sounds like the sound of war to me he says i don't like what i'm hearing maybe we're being under attack and john moses said no sir he said it's not the commotion of war that you hear but the people are at play he said you're hearing music that you should not have and actions they should not be producing and they got there and you see him remaining loyal to the command of god he's there thick and thin with moses he's there through all the difficulty he's there through the wilderness he's there when they make their way into the into the promised land he's there with them to cross over the Jordan River. He's there with them when Jericho is conquered without them even having to lift a finger. He's there with them as they as they go up to the mountains and into the valleys and they fight the five kings of the Canaanites. And there he prays for God to do something great. You remember that story there that God slew more of their enemies with the, with the hailstones that came down than they did with the sword and how he prayed for God to hold the sun still for 24 hours and God did. He was there. He saw those things. He's, but now we have the place where he says, now I want you to understand something. He said, I've watched God work. I've exercised faith. I've believed in God. I have been on my face before God. I was there when we failed, when Achan failed and we fell there at Ai. I was there when we picked up our feet and God gave us victory. He said, listen, I want you to understand something. He says, now I'm at the place 110 years of age and I still got the same faith I had before. And I still have the same prayer life I had before. And I still have the same intensity about winning souls for Christ. And I still have the same intensity about the mission field and reaching souls for Christ. He said, I want you to know something. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to make a choice. But while you're thinking about the choice, let me tell you about what's in my heart. Let me tell you about what God's doing in my heart. I want you to know I have a passion for God. I have a passion for the Lord to do great things and mighty things. Let me tell you this morning, if there's one thing we need that drives us, if there's one thing we need that propels us, if there's one thing we need to get to the next 20 years, if there's one thing we need so our faith does not diminish, our fire doesn't come out, we need a passion for God and a passion for His Word and a passion for reaching people for Christ. Man, he was filled with a fire and passion. And he's going past this place of telling him, I'm concerned about things. He said, I want you to understand, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He encourages us this morning about a passion we need for God. To have a passion, keep making sacrifices. 
Let's have a passion within three Sundays. We're going to have the first of three offering opportunities for the 1K offering for the for a series of offerings we're taking voluntarily to pay down the debt on the on the next building. Don't think of it. Someone else is going to take take that is going to do their part. You be responsible and you do your part. Amen. And you just say, listen, that's God laid in our heart. We're going to do this and we're going to do it together as a church. You decide you're going to come to church as a family and you decide you're going to worship God and you decide you're going to live for the Lord. I'm going to keep making the sacrifice. I'm going to keep coming to church every time the church has a service. Listen, church is not a convenience. Church is a conviction. Preaching is not an option. Preaching is an obligation. He that hath an ear, Jesus said, let him hear. Regardless of what other people might do, we realize when the lights are on, we need to be where the lights are on. Amen. And where the fire is being preached, we need to be where the fire is. We need to keep preaching his word. We need to keep the winning of souls forefront. By the way, we need to keep a life before God that's holy and set up part for the Lord. We keep that at the forefront things that our life is going to burn for God and and do something for the Lord. We're going to keep building the church. We're going to keep doing what we can. And every now and then, as we get tired, yes, we're going to pull back a little bit and we're going to take our rest. The Bible speaks about that. And we're going to replenish ourselves and we're going to get the inner man to renew. But I remind you today that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. They'll mount up with wings as eagles as they do that. And they'll soar the heights and they'll see from the heights above how they can dip more things down. And I want to encourage you this morning to get the vigor and the youth and the passion of a man like the, like Joshua. To have an understanding that there's more to be done. Thank God we have a children's ministry. Let's be passionate that our children's ministry reaches more children. Thank God we have a teen and student ministry. But let's do more to reach more teens and students with the gospel. And thank God this past week as we thank the Lord for a new Bible study that was started at UC Berkeley. And just stepping out by faith and trying to figure out all that's being done. Thank God four consecutive Bible studies we've had guests and visitors. And this past week we had the first individual trust Jesus Christ as Savior there. I mean, thank God today that though we're fearful, not sure what to do, we're just going to keep taking those baby steps of faith and trusting the Lord for what He's going to do. Thank God we have our Friday night meetings for our, our kind of like our midweek service for our students and... Uh, I, I kind of looked around on Friday night. We probably about 70 of our teenagers here just excited for the Lord, breaking up into their different Bible study groups and being encouraged by the leaders of that. But thank God at the conclusion of all that, a young seventh grader heard and understood for the first time his need for Jesus Christ as Savior. And he called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. I'm saying let's not lose that zeal. I'm saying to the choir and orchestra, you put in a lot of work. Probably the, one of the hardest working ministries of our church is the choir and orchestra. They have rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal. And this year has been brutal. They've had a recording. They've had a number of other things. We have this impromptu music special, and it's been brutal. They've been working at it, but they've stayed at it. They've had a good attitude. They've stayed with it. And I want to encourage you, choir and orchestra, don't get, you might get a little weary, but let's not grow weary and we'll do it. Just stay at the stuff. Amen. And keep on singing for the Lord and keep on being in your place and serving God. I want to encourage you, parents, sometimes it gets a little discouraging to get your kids up in the morning on Sundays and get them in a church and get them enthusiastic. And I just want to encourage you, be a, be a parent that's a motivator to your kids and encourage Encourage them to be in church. Encourage them to say hello to the teacher and welcome the teacher and be a blessing there. As you walk on the campus, I remind you today, there was a time we didn't have these two, this building and that one. There was a time where what we're standing on right now, what I'm standing, you're sitting on, was just a dirt field. That's all it was, was a dirt field. And next door over here, if you remember on the side there, we had that old metal fellowship hall. And I don't know about you, but there was a time we thought that fellowship hall was the best thing going on in this building. I mean, it just, I remember the day we crammed 250 people in there for a banquet dinner, and I don't even know how 
how we did that. But God raised some money. God did some great things on that. I remember those days we had fellowship there during the summer. And you know what happens with a metal building when it's hot? You are sweltering. I mean, just like it was bad. And we would sweat to death. But we went on. We thanked the Lord for that. And that kitchen we had there, it produced many, many thousands of meals. Thank God for that. I remember those days of that. I remember the days when we were used to have our services back at that main auditorium. And it's still a good auditorium. And we had our services there. Remember some of those summer nights in the winter, in the summer when we'd be preaching away and it was a hot summer night? It just happened that the hottest day of the week happened to be on Sunday morning and Sunday night in that main auditorium. It didn't matter if the, wind, the fans were on, didn't matter if the doors were open, but people came and we filled up the church and people came and got their hearts revived. I'm saying this morning, let's not lose that zeal. Let's not lose that pioneer desire. Let's not lose that vision. Let's not lose that passion. Here was a man who was sharing with them. He had an inspired passion that he had for the things of the Lord. And then notice, if you would, more thing. We see not his inspired passion, but notice now he shifts from that. He talks about their, 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 about their, about, about their illustrious past. And he talks to them about, about his concerns, his perspective on where they're at. He had come to some, uh, some inconclusions about, are you really for real? Are you really on fire for God? Do you really mean what you're saying? And now he's talking about his passion. He said, well, you know, I, I really don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be accusing you or being misunderstanding, but I just want you to know where my my heart's at. And then notice this last thing he says. Notice now Joshua Tate said this after he talks about he and his, and his house and his motivation for God, his passion for God. And notice as we close this morning, he speaks about an immediate persuasion. And in verse 14, he says this. Now fear the Lord. By the way, that's a good starting point in the Christian life. Amen? To fear God. And serve Him in sincerity. And in truth, poorly the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. And in Egypt, serve you the Lord. And I almost imagine verse 15 as he's saying this. Someone who really loved those people, and he did. He said, if it seems evil to you, if you think there's something wrong with it, if you think it's not consistent with the times. If you think it doesn't coincide with the culture. If you think it's, it's, not, it's not appropriate. He says, if you've gotten cold on the Lord. He said in verse 15, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. He says, if you just have a problem serving God. Maybe you're, you're, what's impeding your ability to serve God is somebody disappointed you and you've let that get in the way. Or maybe it's just a fear that, that you're afraid of what people say or you're afraid of making a mistake. Or maybe it's just the fact that you used to serve the Lord but now you, you've gone, you, you've taken some time off and, and now because you've taken time off you really don't feel like getting reacclimated again. Now he says here in verse 15, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, notice this to now, choose you this day. Now he comes to them, he says, now look, I need you to make an immediate persuasion. He says, I'm not asking him to decide tomorrow. Decide today. Decide today. You see, when we look at decisions we need to make for God, God is not interested in making in us waiting five years to make the decision. He says, choose you this day whom you'll serve. He says, I'm going to be gone in a matter of time. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Choose this day whom you're going to follow. Choose this day where your heart affection is going to be at. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Not tomorrow. Do it today. Today's the time. It's time to make a choice. It's time to live for Jesus. It's time to be a faithful church member. It's time to get baptized. By the way, it's time to get saved. Amen. The Bible says, behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. He says, now is the time. It's time to be a tithing Christian. It's time to get the fire back. It's time to forsake the sins which are 
holding us back. It's time to participate, make a decision. I'm in it all the way with the 1K offering. I'm in it all the way for Friend Day next Sunday. It's time. He says, choose you this day. And I'm going to remind you this morning, brother, sister, and Christ, as Joshua spoke those words, we think back several thousand years ago that was appar- that only appertained to that moment. But I bring it to today. God is still saying the same thing, which stings our heart. And moves our conscience and touches our feet and moves our mind and should stir our faith that today is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day we should rejoice and be glad in. Today is the day in which we serve the Lord. Today is the day we live for Jesus Christ. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Can I ask this morning, who are you serving? And if you're going to serve the Lord, will you do it today? Amen. Will you do it today? Choose you this day whom you'll serve. It's time to serve God. It's time to worship the Lord. It's time to be committed. It's time to get in with the Lord. I mean, that's what he's saying these last few moments. He says, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Notice Romans 13, 11 says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. No more procrastination. No more excuses. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. And the people said to Joshua in verse 21, nay, but we will serve the Lord. He had to, he had to debate with them a little bit. We get to verse 21. They said, no, Joshua, we're sincere. We fear the Lord. We're going to serve God. Thank God that this morning there was a people of God. They caught the heart of Josh and said, we're going to serve the Lord. Right around the turn of the century, a very famous jeweler by the name of Harry Winston, probably the expert in diamonds, received a phone call from a diamond collector. This diamond collector was looking for a rare cut of a diamond. And the only person he thought that he got from his all his inquiries he made, because this man was a was a vast and, and, and very exquisite collector, was Harry Winston. He called up Mr. Winston and said, Hey, I want to come down to London to visit you because I heard you have this diamond, which you set this time aside. And Mr. Winston, as they talked with this man, he says, Sir, I believe I have the diamond that you're looking for. And he described his color and his clarity and his cut and all of those things. He described all that to that man. He said, You come on down. That day will be set apart for you. You're making a long journey down. You're going to take a train ride down. You be there. I'll be ready for it. The diamond collector got there. This man got there. They they had introduced each other. And then Mr. Winston very graciously took this man into a big conference room. He said, sir, you have a seat there. And he served him some coffee, some pastry. He says, listen, I have my best diamond salesman here. He's going to bring this diamond in. I want him to explain the diamond to you and explain all its exquisiteness to you and do so. I'll step out the room so you don't feel like there's any pressure from me. And so Mr. Winston did the introduction, brought his salesman in, the top salesman perhaps in all the world of diamonds, who knew diamonds better than anybody else. And they closed the door behind them. And there's the salesman and Harry Winston, this, this diamond collector there. Harry Winston stepped outside. There was a window there so he could watch what was going on. And the, di- the diamond salesman began his presentation, describing all the exquisiteness of this diamond about his cut, his color, his clarity, all these things. He was very well educated, very academic in his presentation. Hardly seven minutes had gone by. The man who was a diamond collector got up. He pushed his chair so he could get away from the table. He got up, brushed himself up, and you could tell there was a look of irritation on his face. He took all his papers, put it inside his briefcase, snapped his briefcase, and he's going to walk out. The diamond salesman didn't know what happened. He thought he had offended him somehow. And as soon as that man reached for the door, Mr. Winston opened the door and said, Sir, what's going on? He said, I don't think you have what I'm looking for. I've heard everything this man has to say. He says, I'm going to go find it somewhere else. And Mr. Winston said, wait, 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 wait. You made this trip down here. But you give me five minutes. 
He said, Mr. Winston, I need to go. He says, look, would you give me five? Say, Mr. Winston, I'll tell you what. I'll give you 10 minutes. But my mind's made up. He asked politely for the salesman to leave the room. And Mr. Winston kept the door open. He sat this diamond collector down. He started explaining this diamond. And within less than five minutes, the man got up. He says, I like what you're telling me. This is exactly what I'm looking for. How do I acquire this diamond? And Mr. Winston looked, reached into his coat pocket, pulled out the papers that he wanted, put the papers out. In less than 10 minutes, they signed off the deal. This man bought with a lot of money this exquisite diamond. The deal was done. The transaction was consummated. They're both getting up and they shook hands with each other. And as they're walking out, Mr. Winston said, thank you for giving me the opportunity, the second chance to present to you what this diamond is all about. And the diamond collector put his arm around Mr. Winston as they're walking out the door. And he says, Mr. Winston, I just got to ask you one question. You have this salesman. What can you tell me what happened here? 30 minutes before you brought this salesman in here, he presented me and told me everything about this diamond. I had no motivation to buy this diamond, had no motivation to do business with you. You walk in here and in less than five minutes, I am ready to buy this diamond. What happened in all this? Mr. Winston told him with a smile on his face. He said, sir, that salesman is the best salesman in the business. He knows diamonds better than I know diamonds. I pay him a great sum of money to do these presentations, and he's very successful in what he does. But he says, I want you to know something. That man knows diamonds. I love diamonds. And he says, the difference is, I am passionate about my diamonds. I'm passionate about what I represent. And he said, sir, that man knows them, but I love them. May I say something this morning as we close? You know who Jesus is, but do you love Jesus? You know about the church, but do you love the church? That man loved, he knew diamonds, but Harry Winston loved his diamonds. I'm wondering this morning, how many of us today, we know how the service is going to flow. And we know how the agenda is going to run. And we know exactly what the pastor is going to say. And we know exactly how the song is going to be sung. And we know exactly what we're going to read from the Bible. We're going to do. But you know all those things. But my question this morning, do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? And as we close this morning, I say to you today, Joshua stood before those people and he said, you need to make an immediate persuasion. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Two things were done. Number one, would you choose this day to serve the Lord? But you choose this day and say, God, I'm all in. I love you, Jesus. I don't know everything going on, but I'm all in, Lord. And then secondly, would you choose today? You know enough today to know how to be saved. Would you get saved today? You know how to be saved. Sin will keep you out of heaven. Sin will send you to hell. Everyone is a sinner. Sin bypasses what religious faith, what religious background, what tradition. Sin bypasses that because the Bible says all is sin and comes short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the good news this morning is that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God, with loving arms, opens these arms up to you and extends these invitation. Come to me and be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, he said, choose you this day whom you'll serve. The Apostle Paul, thousands of years later, wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. He says, as it is written, behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is accepted time. Don't put things off. Proverbs 27, 1 says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring. Tomorrow may not come. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Come to the Lord with a heart of love and gratefulness for your past and what he's done for you. And thank God this morning that there's another chance, another opportunity to serve him and to honor him.
This morning, if you're not saved, would you let me be your pastor? But more importantly, would you let Jesus in your heart to save you, to save you from your sins and to make you son of God? Our Father, this morning as we bow in prayer, we're so thankful for the fact that you love us and your great mercy, your goodness to us. Lord, how you use human instruments to accomplish your means. Sometimes we don't have it all together, but Lord, you just know how to use us and how to use your word to get what you need done. And Joshua, Lord, was 110 years old. And he encouraged the people he loved to be persuaded at that moment to serve the Lord. And wondered this morning today that, God, there's people that need Christ as their Savior. If today was their last day on earth, they could wind up spending all of eternity in hell. Lord, I pray they'd sense your love, your passion for them. As the Lord reaches out and says, be saved today. Be saved today. With your heads bowed and eyes closed. Don't you want to get saved today? The worst mistake to make is to put off the Lord. Trusting an institution, a name other than Jesus' name won't save you. And I wonder if there's someone today who will humbly raise their hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I know I need to get saved and I want to be saved. You'll say, Pastor, pray for me. I know I need to get saved. Pray for me. Some of you are like that this morning. You'd raise your right hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Would you pray for me this morning? You're not sure you're saved and going to heaven, but you want to know. You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get saved today. Anyone this morning? Christian, friend, I invite you this morning. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, these soldiers of the cross. Choose this day. Choose this day. Make it certain today. Just like Rachel Lowe, she chose this day to say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm fond of the Lord in baptism. And I'll tell you, it was very nerve-wracking for her to do that in front of a camera and to stand before you today. But she said that because she loves the Lord. I wonder if there'll be someone today that says, I am saved. I need to get baptized. I am saved, but I need to do something for the Lord. I am saved, and I used to be more active, and now I need to get back at it. Why don't you come this morning, not out of guilt, but because God loves you, because God invites you. Once again, he's trying to encourage you and nudge you and, you know, kind of pull you by the arm and say, hey, come on, let's do it today. You come this morning. Let's rejoice to say that God is able to use us. Would you do that? Then if you're not sure you're saved and you're just really, you're struggling your heart, I invite you to come down the aisle and meet one of these altar workers. They'll pray with you and help you know for sure how you can go to heaven. Father, would you use the invitation time, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand and with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to come, make your way to the altar this morning. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Would you do that this morning? Don't delay. Who'll be the first? Who'll be the second? Who'll be the third? We'll be the ones that will come this morning. Choose you this day who you'll serve. Would you do it today? Just come this morning. We're singing, have thine own way. Does he have his way? Are we serving God under our terms or under his terms? Are we worshiping God under his terms or our terms? What is it this morning? Choose you this day. He said, serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth and fear the Lord. You know you're not saved come to Christ this morning. He invites you today to open your heart's door and call on Him to be your Savior, to wash away your sins and make you a child of God. Would you come this morning?
Father, thank you for the tenderness of our congregation, our church family this morning. As once again, we've heard these words that Joshua uttered and spoke to a congregation of people. He left three million of them. He was concerned about their proclivities, what direction they were going. And yet he shared with them that even at 110 years of age and not much, much time left, he says, it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. And I pray that would be the determination. We're just going to keep serving God. We're going to keep worshiping the Lord. We're going to keep being faithful to church. And then, Lord, I pray this morning that we choose today when some are kind of on the fence and struggling, help us to get past whatever the hindrances are and say no to the devil and yes to Christ. Father, lift the burdens that are here. Help folks this morning realize how much you love them. Your grace is more than sufficient for our need. In a moment, we'll dismiss and go our ways. And we pray that, Lord, we make determination to be back in the evening service tonight for our hearts to be encouraged and to be challenged for Christ. We pray these things of you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to see a Connect video that will encourage you about next week's Friend Day. And then the revival services start next Sunday night uh, in the evening. Dr. Tom Farrell is a great evangelist that God is using. He just has the touch of God in his life. You will be encouraged. If you don't remember him or never heard him, I encourage you to be here for those services. Uh, Sunday night starts at 530, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 7 p.m. We'll have special music each night. We encourage you to be there for that. Brother Irm will close in prayer. My wife and I look forward to shaking your hand on the way out. If you need something, please stop by. Let us know if we can pray for you or do something for you.